Lewis Hamilton beat Max Verstappen in a thrilling Bahrain desert duel, but with less than a second in it, all signs are that we've got a championship on our hands. Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for 2021. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 1, the Bahrain Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. For the first time in the turbo hybrid era, Mercedes failed to take pole position at the first race of the season. Instead, it was Red Bull Racing that had the fastest car and looked to convert to victory. But a super aggressive undercut strategy from Mercedes won Hamilton track position and challenged Verstappen to a six lap duel to close the race. In the tense finale, Hamilton took the flag by just three quarters of a second. How did the slower Mercedes win this race? That's the question I asked this week's guest, senior writer at F1.com, Lawrence Barreto. Lawrence, what a pleasure it is to have you on for a race that isn't the Spanish Grand Prix. How are you doing? Um, I'm very, very good, Michael, especially because, as you hinted at just now, I feel honoured and privileged <laughs> to be on this podcast for a race where we can talk about actual strategy. Because... <laughs> The Spanish Grand Prix of late, I, we've struggled to, to, to make things work. So um, I can only say thank you, thank you, thank you for having me on for such a great race. <laughs> but much like uh, having seven years of Mercedes domination and potentially, I know it's the first race, potentially having a title fight, it was worth it, wasn't it? All those Spanish Grand Prix to be able to talk about the Bahrain Grand Prix. I feel like it was worth it. So we're in a good place. Oh, completely. And like we talked a little bit about this just before um, we started recording, where we said, "Is it the best race you know that we've ever seen? You know how good a, how good a race this is?" And you know, I think in at least in recent memory, I honestly think without getting on a hype train, this was one of one of the better races that we've seen for a long, long time. It was. It really had a little bit of everything. We're going to try to get into a little bit of everything over the course of this episode. But this is the first race. So I want to set up the season a little bit because you would never have guessed only a couple of months ago that we would be talking about the idea of Mercedes snatching a win from Max Verstappen with a slower car, maybe even a slower engine. Uh, extremely unlikely heading into this last year of regulations before they all change next season. What's happening with Mercedes? Is it purely that they have been tripped up with some of these aero regulations or is it that Red Bull Racing has perhaps even just leapfrogged them completely? How do you see the the balance of this situation having been formed to create this race? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think Red Bull have benefited massively from the reasonable stability in the regulations whereby they haven't gone for an all new concept and therefore started off the year on the back foot like they have done so many times. They've got a concept that they knew was very strong towards the back end of last year. Max was kind of strong through the Bahrain swing and then in, obviously into Abu Dhabi when they won in Mercedes backyard and I think they've managed to obviously carry that through because there's been limited change but I also think that Mercedes have gone back a little bit um, and you know what it had to happen at some time you know as ruthlessly efficient as um, those guys and girls and in silver are um, you can't get it right every single year and um, quite interesting I was talking to Ross Braun yesterday about this and obviously he's had experience working at Mercedes and he said well at pre-season testing they never really bothered too much about outright pace they had enough data that they could work it out and re kind of position themselves depending on where they were based on the fuel levels that they were running so he wasn't overly surprised that they went from you know pre-season testing where we were all saying they're well behind what have they done he wasn't surprised that they'd jump forward but he was a little bit surprised that they perhaps are just on par with Red Bull rather than having kicked on like they normally do 
Um, so I do think it's it's a little bit of both. They've just gone back a little bit. Red Bull have, have gone forward a little bit. And, and now, you know, if, if we can take anything from this race in Bahrain, it's that we could have a, a, a genuine fight on our hands. It'd be exciting to think this race will be extrapolated over 23 rounds. You can only hope that that's going to be the case. There's been this undertone of discussion from, well, let's say principally Lewis Hamilton, Toto Wolff, even some people at Aston Martin, but we'll put them to one side. But these rules were... <laughs> written specifically to peg Mercedes back. Now, occasionally, since 2014, the rules have been changed. And, of course, it's never specifically to peg any one team back. Usually, it's just the idea that we shake things up a little bit. And it's never really worked, has it? Mercedes has pretty much always maintained superiority by varying amounts. Not so this year, at least on the evidence of what we've seen so far. Have these rules been written just to to bring Mercedes back, they do seem the worst affected. I think it's all relative, isn't it? I remember when Ferrari had their period of dominance uh, and then Red Bull, again, both of those teams would have said the rules were tweaked, you know, to peg them back. I think it's not specifically to peg Mercedes back, but I think it is, they, of course, they're designed to try and close the field up because they want a more competitive championship. I think it's very interesting that Lewis has said, like you suggested multiple times, <laughs> that they've done specifically to peg them back. And even with Toto getting in on the act as well, I think, if anything, that just shows that they're a little bit under pressure, you know. I think they they feel like they are on the back foot somewhat because they wouldn't, they're too, they're too clever, they're too long in the tooth to know that they don't need to... to to worry about things when things go wrong because they can normally bounce back. So the very fact that they're mentioning things like that, I think shows that we we could well have a Mercedes team that need to to get things done, to need to do a lot of homework. There's one more thing I want to touch on before we get straight into the race, and it's something I thought we'd never really be saying. The idea that maybe Mercedes, not only is it not the fastest car, that's one thing, but potentially not the fastest engine. Now, we've known for a long time that Mercedes is pretty much since 2014, had the fastest engine. There was that time Ferrari did, but obviously some rule changes or some rule clarifications after <laughs> some of that work. So let's just say they've had it for that time. Honda seems like they've done a really great job, and they've made some big strides in recent years, but particularly this year. And there's this idea that they brought forward what was going to be their 2022 engine to this year, because, of course, they're leaving the sport at the end of the year. From what you've seen, and this is the basis of only one race, of course, one particular type of track, is there any credence to that idea that Honda might have caught maybe even past Mercedes? And if it is the case, why doesn't everyone just skip a year of engine development and do exactly what Honda did? Uh, well, that the latter part, that's a very good question, Michael, because I don't know. I don't know why they don't. Um, I think with Honda, I spoke to Asaki-san just before the Bahrain Grand Prix and he's head of development over at Honda. And he was talking about how they've turned this engine around in six months and it's a completely new concept um, and they've managed to achieve an engine that's better than size zero and we all remember how when they tried to do that size zero engine with McLaren it went a bit peak tongue didn't it um, <laughs> but they seem to have turned things around and with the years of experience that they've got now six or seven in Formula One I genuinely think that they've made gains because Honda are now starting to talk about being on par with Mercedes or potentially being Mercedes. And the whole time they've been in Formula One, they don't like doing that. They don't like comparing themselves. So the very fact that they feel confident enough to do that gives me a belief that they have um, they have made a step forward to the point where, yes, they are either level with Mercedes or um, just ahead. Um, Max gave a quote um, to Ziggo, so in his native Dutch at the weekend, where he, just, he said, if you took the wings off the car with this Honda engine, I'd have a rocket ship to the moon. 
And I think he's properly excited by the power that he's got from this engine. Also, the immense reliability that they've shown, considering, considering they've only developed that engine within six months. They've come such a long way. I do think that there's a real potential. And we've only got, obviously, one race to really tell. I do think they've either got to a level where they're on par or they might even be slightly ahead. What I would say also is that Mercedes, of late, particularly to the back end of last year, they were having problems. You know, they were they were encountering little issues in a way that they didn't really do that at the start of the, the turbo turbo hybrid era. And then they've gone all new and they've made a suite of cha- uh, a, a suite of changes to this year's engine. So there is there is a chance that these things haven't quite worked out for them yet, or they're not kind of um, getting the best out of it just yet. And the combination of those factors means that on a power front, I think we've got a real genuine fight there. Really fascinating tantalizing prospects on the base of i put i'll put an asterisk at the end of this episode that is always on the basis of one race but let's be optimistic at least for now what if we get it what have we got if we're not optimism <laughs> let's talk about the race itself as you said it was max verstappen on pole it was about four tenths of a second uh which well considering exactly the form we've had in the last couple of years relatively decisive uh very very early in the race, and this is sort of where the race really began to turn. I mean, Mercedes went into this Grand Prix understanding they did not have the fastest car. Mercedes started really aggressively. It's not a position we're normally seeing Mercedes is in it. Normally they are defensive, and very occasionally when they have to try and strategize their way out of something, they occasionally make mistakes. Was this really the idea going into this race that they were just shaking the tree, trying to see how Red Bull Racing would respond? And if that is the case, I guess on the basis of this, that's good that they managed to pull something off here rather than fall over as they occasionally have. I think what they managed to achieve in this race with that aggressive approach is super impressive because like you kind of hinted at, Michael, they haven't really, through this hybrid turbo era, they haven't really had to fight, have they, in this way? They haven't really had to come from behind, really take the fight to a team that is is significantly stronger than them. And so I think the way that they reacted, um, being on the back foot, was impressive. What shocked me was that Red Bull didn't seem to react um, immediately, though I appreciate I'm getting ahead of myself. But from, from the point of view of what Mercedes' approach was, they went aggressive, they got it absolutely right, obviously not quite right with Valtteri Bottas' pit stop, but they got the, the Lewis segment right. And it and it paid off, and I think they're going to have to be aggressive like that throughout this early segment segment of the year if they're going to want to um, hold off a, a charge in Red Bull. So let's paint the scene of this first stint. Mercedes seemed pretty even on race pace in that first stint when both cars were on medium tyres of around the same age. We're talking specifically of Hamilton and Verstappen here. We'll mention Bottas a little bit later. Uh, very early, Mercedes pulled this undercut trigger on lap 13. He was within about two seconds for almost all of that first stint. Mercedes not ordinarily that uh, aggressive, that offensive. This led to a whole bunch of cascading decisions after the race. Like you said, though, Red Bull's reaction either before and after the pit stop, I found a little bit surprising. I'd like to know what you'd think here because I feel like we could see an undercut was probably going to come, right? Like that's just standard strategy practice when you've got a car that is roughly on pace of the car in front of you. Are you surprised Red Bull Racing, ordinarily the aggressive kind of team, didn't try to preempt that? Was it simply too early for them to bring Max in before Hamilton had a chance? Because track position, as it turned out, was the most important factor here. I wonder whether Red Bull's mindset was affected by the fact that, A, they didn't have Checo anywhere near to to assist in any strategy 
um, attack. And obviously Mercedes had two cars in which to, to check. But Max was talking really early in the race about problems with his differential. And I wonder whether a whole host of factors, just they just thought, well, OK, this is the best strategy for us. Let's just stick with this plan rather than trying to be as aggressive, like you said, as they usually as they usually were. Um, but I, I, like you, am a little bit puzzled that they chose to stay out. And even Max was, as you heard on his team radio, um, at the time that they didn't react instantly and that they'd made a mistake. And it's difficult to see because once that moment has happened, it was difficult to see how they could recover with just a single car against two two Mercedes. There was this extra interesting element in this middle stint, which turned out at least for Mercedes to be really short, didn't it? It lasted only around 15 laps for Hamilton, who was on the hard tyre. There was this suggestion that it was going to be like a three-stop race. Red Bull Racing even suggested that they thought that potentially was the direction that that race was going because at that point, half the race still to go on a single set of hard tyres for Hamilton when you'd only achieved 15 in that middle stint. It seemed very unlikely. And at that point, given the option, seeing what Mercedes was doing, Red Bull Racing again decided to essentially do nothing about it, for want of a better phrase. Of course, they were sticking to their own plan. But was that a misreading, do you think? Maybe at the, the point of that second stop, were they wrong to not buy into the strategy Mercedes was playing down? I mean, ultimately, they were trying to, let, to, to set a trap, weren't they? We'll talk about Bottas in a second, but... Did they give themselves too much work to do or Verstappen too much work to do by really running their own strategy and hoping it would be enough to overcome Mercedes? I think there is the the potential that they thought they had enough performance in their pocket that Max would be able to get the job done on the track. And the the circuit layout itself, and obviously as we saw later in the race, it is feasible to to have pulled off potentially uh, a pass on track to to lead uh, to, to win the race. I think that they made a mistake there. I think at that point, having seen what had happened in the first run of stops, I think they should have been able to react, as we've seen actually in the past, um, to, to change their strategy. The difference, I guess, here is that when they've been going for race wins or they found themselves in this situation in the past, it's been unusual. And therefore, the risk that the risk was lower because they just had to throw it at, you know, throw everything at that race to go for a victory that they ordinarily wouldn't have a chance to fight. The difference this time around is I think they're going to be in the fight for wins all the time. And then the mindset changes. And I think the risk factor is a, is changing. And I think that they haven't quite adapted to their their return to the front, essentially. And I think that kind of skewed their decision making. Um, and unfortunately, it just didn't work out for them. It was a second element to this part of the race. After 15 laps when Hamilton made that second stop, committed to that long final stint, and Red Bull Racing at least had that option of ultimately doing what they did, which was going long and and playing their own game, if you like. And that was Valtteri Bottas, who for a lot of this race was kind of forgotten, to be fair, or to be unfair, I suppose. (laughs) He sort of just kept touch with the front, didn't he? He was around five or six seconds behind. Clearly wasn't as comfortable in the car as Lewis was. But as you mentioned earlier, potentially should have been decisive by giving Mercedes this numerical advantage that Red Bull didn't have because Perez had started from the pit lane. Uh, He, however, after the race, I was interested to hear him say this, especially in the context that at the start of the year he was talking about trying to be more selfish with his demands for the team, wanting to make the team fight more in his corner for his own challenges. He was quite disappointed that his strategy was essentially to back up Hamilton, wasn't it? Now, his role was that second stop to try and force Verstappen into following that early stop because 
if uh, Verstappen had followed them in, followed him in, he would have had to pass two Mercedes cars, or no, he would rather he would have had to. He would have had that long final stint. If he hadn't, he would have had to pass two Mercedes cars. Of course, Bottas' stop was too slow, and then we forgot about him for most of the rest of the race. Let's be honest. Is this the worst kind of outcome for Bottas, though? Forgetting the fact that this race didn't go to plan, he ultimately didn't play any role in victory for for those two reasons. But if this is a really titanic battle between Hamilton and Verstappen, is he essentially locked into not that selfish demands he wanted at the start of the season, not the creative strategies perhaps that would play a role, but having to be the wingman for for Lewis Hamilton? Because with a slower car... Presumably that's the only way Mercedes is going to have a chance. So when I spoke to him in the pen, he tried to put a brave face on the situation. And I think he was he was reasonably pleased with his own performance um, in the race because towards the back end of last year, he was there were too many races where he was just falling off. And there was, towards the middle stint, he was actually quicker than, than Lewis at certain points on the hard tyre. So I think that he wasn't overly... Ha- disappointed with his own performance but he was evidently very disappointed that the team basically made him follow the same strategy as Lewis when he could have and actually requested to do a different strategy how many times in the past Michael have we seen Valtteri ask on team radio for a different strategy and the team each time essentially knock him back it must start to become quite disheartening especially as this was race one of the 2021 season. So it's not like Lewis has already built up a lead and Valtteri needs to fall into that wingman position. So he's definitely got to go away from this race and have a lot of tough conversations with the team because if that is going to be the case, I don't know what that's going to do to his mentality because to start the year off knowing that you aren't going to have a chance to get involved with this fight with Lewis and Max. And for him, he must see this as a real opportunity this year because if Max is taking points off Lewis... That's, that's an opportunity for Valtteri to get in that mix and haul himself in if, if you know, he's strong enough and qualifying to put himself in that position. So I think this is a particularly disheartening race um, for Valtteri for, through no fault of his own, really. It is the double-edged sword, isn't it? The idea that a championship like this could be really good for him, as you said, because it mixes things up, potentially gives him an opportunity to play to strengths he hasn't been able to before. But... Mercedes is obviously very desperate to win this championship. Of course they are. It's the whole point of racing, and especially when they're unexpectedly challenged, let's say, to try and seal that deal. It is going to be really interesting to see what happens. And look, we don't know. They're all in one-term contracts, aren't they? How that plays out maybe in the second half of the year going to be really interesting. Uh, we can talk briefly here about Sergio Perez as well. Didn't play a role in the the shot for victory for Max Verstappen because we well, had a kind of average qualifying, didn't he? And then through no fault of his own, had to start from pit lane. Really great recovery, though. Didn't necessarily even have to do anything particular in terms of strategy. I guess that really underlines the pace in that car. But from what we've seen so far this year, we know that what Red Bull's racing's lacked in the last couple of seasons is that, okay, for want of a better phrase, wingman mm-hmm. driver. Is Perez the guy they've been looking for all these years? I think based on this race, yeah, I think he is, especially because he doesn't yet feel comfortable with the car. Things he said aren't coming naturally to him yet. He's still got a lot of work to do um, in qualifying spec, but I think obviously as we saw in the race, you know, he's kind of got that nailed because that's always been his strength. Um, so I think because he may managed to perform so strongly, um, he had no real problems cutting through the field, did we? I th- you know, he arguably did a better job of, of those fight backs than you know Alex Albon you know did during his time that's no slight on Alex but Checo just did it quicker he did it more efficiently he gave himself a real um opportunity and you know Christian Horner was very um full of was full of praise of, of Checo at the end of the race um I think he was disappointed that he didn't play the part that they wanted him to play but you know that's 
That was through no fault of his own. But he's going to get the job done this year, I think. All the signs are there. He's super comfortable at that team. Just talking through him to him through testing and, and the race weekend. I think he understands why some people um, have found it hard at Red Bull. And he seems to be a character who can make it work. and Or he thinks he can make it work anyway. And so I think that Red Bull have got exactly what they need there. Because I don't think he's quite going to be on Max's pace consistently but he once he is comfortable he's definitely going to be in a position to challenge for big results on the right weekend do you think he could have made a difference in this race had he were either not started from the pit lane that was obviously a real blow of naturally or had he qualified in the top 10 because we have seen plenty of uh, times in the last couple of years as we said with those previous drivers that even losing the first stint of a race to, to battling through what is a, a very tight midfield even tighter this year does essentially negate the value of having them there, even if they're relatively close. Was was there any difference to be made here for Perez? Had the, the weekend gone a little bit better up till Sunday? I think so. I think, I'm not sure how much of a difference it would have been made, even if he'd started 11th where he should have done, because he still would have had to, when the field was bunched up, still had have had to make progress through the field, and that would have taken time. So he probably ultimately would have still only ended up fourth. Um, but I think that if he had qualified better... I think his performance would have been should be on a point where he should be on par with Bottas, if not ahead of Bottas. You know where the relative pace of the, of the cars are at the moment, um, and then he could have figured because we haven't yet seen um, Mercedes have to deal with a strategy where they've got two cars attacking them, and so I'm just just because I'm nosy, want to see how they react to that, and and I I think it would be a great challenge for them and I think then we're only going to get better races for it um, it's going to take him some time he said I think in testing it's going to take him four or five races I honestly think it's probably going to take him that you know to, to get up to speed but I think once he's there um, and we're kind of over to the, like the Canada and Baku side of the season I think we are going to see a Checo who can figure in it in Bahrain though I think there wasn't he, he just wasn't quite up to speed enough to, to figure as, as we'd wanted him to have done always under promise over deliver that's the way Perez can approach it say it's going to take five rounds he'll win next time he'll be <laughs> great everyone's going to be happy with that I think uh will be interesting it was actually you really nailed it there as well it's something I hadn't considered but Mercedes okay we know they haven't often had to face competition in general before but even of course from Red Bull in the last couple of years and even Ferrari before that have never really faced two cars I'm really struggling to think you know, even when Charles Leclerc, for example, was doing really well, Sebastian Vettel was inevitably not doing so well. And before that, it was, of course, Raikkonen as a teammate who Ferrari often forgot they employed in certain races, it seemed to be the case. That is really, it is interesting, isn't it? I wonder, I wonder how much that might be weighing on their decisions in the next couple of rounds, because it really does change what we've become used to seeing Mercedes deal with. I think we're going to see a point where Mercedes are going to make mistakes and that's no disrespect to them. It's just they're going to hopefully, if Red Bull do what they should be able to do and get two cars fighting, they're going to be put under significant pressure. And when teams are put under pressure, they make mistakes. You know, maybe nine times out of ten, they're still going to get it nailed. But I think only then when we see a proper team and a proper challenge to Mercedes, can we probably really confirm them as maybe the greatest team ever because they will if they can win this year under the the, the toughest of pressures they've basically done it all so I'm really excited to see what happens over the next few races um, and whether Red Bull are able to to do it consistently of course there are minor concerns they did have quite a few like niggles should we say reliability wise and it always seems to be the second car doesn't it at Red Bull you know that that curse that isn't a curse 
um, and they kind of need to find a way to to get rid of that and to the, to have two cars working reliably. So um, let's see. Um, I'm trying not to get this hype train up <laughs> to you know going at too too fast a speed, but I just can't help it. Yeah. Oh, look, it's very exciting. We had a very good race. We're still buzzing from it. Let's get back to the battle for the lead. As we said, Hamilton stopped at half distance for his final stint for hard tyres. Max Verstappen continued on his medium tyres till lap 39. That's a difference of 11 laps. I wrote that down. I can't do the maths <laughs> that quickly, even simple maths like this. Gave him that tyre offset, came out with around about eight and a half seconds uh, to make up in that time, eminently achievable. Took him about 10 laps, exactly as predicted. I'm always impressed when they can exactly predict how long it's going to be until two cars meet on track. Six laps to get the job done, essentially, was what we had. And the movie chose, with the tyre difference that he had, was off the track at turn four. Look, there are lots of different ways we can cut this argument up, isn't it? Because it's ended up being this little nexus of discussion, this turn four track limits. Let's talk about the move in particular first. Max suggested afterwards that maybe he'd have been better off not giving the place back, making up a a certain amount of time in the three laps he had remaining, uh, and that would negate against a penalty. What do you think he should have done? Did he do... I mean, he did the right thing, I suppose, morally correct thing, but did he do the right thing for his race? I mean, you're right. Morally, he did the right thing. But what we want is to we want a rivalry don't we i think and we want we want drivers really giving it everything and i think that the bloody mindedness that he would have shown um by keeping the position and like you said trying to stretch out a gap to try and cover whatever sort of penalty you know 5 seconds maybe even 10 seconds who knows the penalty that he would have got for that i think would have been exciting cuz look worst case scenario he would have still finished second cuz bottas had pitted to go for the fastest lap so the risk element there was was minimal, I think, but I think for from a perspective of how the sport looks, obviously it was the right thing to do. From my view, I'm a bit disappointed that he. I know he had the run, and he probably thought this might be my only shot. But what if he just stayed close and then tried to do the move into turn one on the next lap when he hadn't taken too much out of his tires? I'm not sure whether he he was too aggressive at a point when, like we've just talked about, track turn four and. You know, no one seems to know, frankly, what the rules are there. Like drivers, you know, drivers talking about they change from day into day, you know, the second day. Some were told they, you know, you can do it, but you can't gain advantage. Look, let's not get even into that. If you know that that corner is a bit dodgy, right? Maybe you just wait until turn one to do because he had the advantage, isn't he? Look how quickly he managed to catch Lewis. He had the tie advantage. I would be kicking myself that I didn't wait. I know that's probably why I'm not a racing driver because <laughs> I don't go for it when I have a chance. But why didn't he just wait till turn one? Because he would have got the move done. Because in those scenarios, I think I feel like I've watched enough Formula One in recent years to know sometimes you only get one chance. And I think that if he'd waited, that would have been the chance to do. But I do think he made the right decision in giving the pace back um, to to Lewis because he what he did was wrong. It was you know it was illegal. So. The secondary element to that is that, okay, maybe he chose the wrong place to overtake. Did he choose the wrong place to give the position back? Because I was surprised. I don't know about you watching it. At this point, everything was a bit wild. We couldn't believe this was happening in the last three laps. Very exciting stuff. Well done, everyone. Uh, It just seemed shocking that after giving it back, I mean, we saw he took the place because he had such great pace that he almost couldn't really lay a glove on Lewis again. Stayed very close, was within about a second for almost all of that subsequent part of the race thereabouts but just couldn't manage 
to get that position back. Lost a little bit of momentum handing the position back, as of course you would. And then we saw him slide through turn 13 on that lap, and that cost him a little bit more. But do you think it was maybe, did that metal, mentally rattle him a bit? Was it just a bad decision to give the place back there? Should he have waited maybe till the, the start, finish straight, get an even longer slipstream down to turn one? It seems like there were other options perhaps for him. And it just didn't come together for him after that. Yeah, I know we are blessed with the benefit of hindsight. Um, but I do think that he should, you're right, Michael, I think he should have waited. I don't think that was the right thing to do. I guess in his mindset, he was like, the quicker I let him back ahead, the, the more time I've got maybe to, to get back ahead again. Um, I think what really did it for him is what you said when he ran a little bit wide at 13 and lost that momentum. Because I think the, what he had then was he needed to get the move done pretty much straight away thereafter because he... he 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 ran out of tyres effectively, didn't he? he? He just couldn't follow close enough um, thereafter. Um, although, having said that, can you imagine if we had had the full race distance so we hadn't <laughs> lost a lap at the yeah. start and he had had an extra lap? Like, mindset-wise, you know, that could have changed everything. Um, who knows? I think... I don't think he should be too hard on himself, to be honest. I think that he still finished second and he's done that on pure performance and he could have had the race win. And he gave it back and that's good karma... And, you know, it might pay him back, you know, in in races to come. So I don't think he should be too hard on himself, but I would agree that he did a couple of things wrong in the heat at the moment. Um, and one of those things was he gave the place back at the wrong at the wrong time. So what you're saying, though, is Sergio Perez cost him this win yeah. because had he not broken down at the start, we would have had the full race distance and it all would have worked out. Oh, very good idea. I like that. Well... <laughs> <laughs> 100% your idea. Very good. Uh, as a final note on this before we just quickly wrap up a couple of other talking points from this race. I mean, we've talked about why or why not Verstappen may have been able to do a better job in that last stint. That sounds more critical than it was, but that's what we've talked about. Lewis Hamilton's role defensively here shouldn't be understated either. I feel like we're going to remember that last stint for the lockup at turn 10 that kind of give gave Verstappen a chance to close. But even for those last couple of laps, you know, his defense at turn one in particular was very solid. Didn't give Verstappen a chance to have another look. That shouldn't be understated. So summarizing everything we've talked about in this battle for the lead came down to less than a second after 56 laps. Do you feel that Red Bull and Max lost this race or that Mercedes and Lewis won it? No, I, I think it would be unfair to say that Red Bull lost the race. I think it Mercedes won it. And Lewis in particular, you know, I think there's very few people in the world who could can do what Lewis can do. And um, I think that, like you touched upon, his defence was brilliant. He made a mistake, actually, and it's not very often that we see Lewis make a mistake when under pressure. Obviously, he makes mistakes every now and then, but not under when he's under that extreme pressure, it's very unusual for him to do that. And I think that bodes well for a championship fight going forward, that he isn't completely bulletproof. So there is hope, guys, that we are going to have a championship fight on our hands. But I think that what he did um, was extraordinary and is just yet another reminder, um, you know, in the opus of Lewis Hamilton great races, um, to, to confirm that he is the greatest, if not the great, uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest ever. It's going to be really interesting to see how this pans out. Let's just quickly chat through the midfield. Largely decided in the opening laps, Lando Norris finished best of the rest. It was an undercut on of Fernando Alonso to try and make gains that really triggered future pit stops among that midfield group and stuck everyone to pretty much the same strategy, locked in their position for a lot of the race. Carlos Sainz overcut, overcut Lance Stroll late. 
Uh, and Lance Stroll dropped a position, of course, to Yuki Tsunoda on the final lap. Uh, we've talked a bit about Sergio Perez, how he had that car advantage. A little bit understated. Let's just talk about this briefly. We talked before we mentioned Sebastian Vettel. Did Yuki Tsunoda... Okay, Yuki Tsunoda's rookie performance, very good. Can take mm-hmm. nothing away from for that. Really impressive stuff for a first time out, especially considering in qualifying, he didn't seem that comfortable at certain points. Seemed very comfortable throughout the race. But does the, the progress he made from 16th on around lap five up into the points speak as well to perhaps how understatedly good that car is that car is great i think i think that could be up around that that p4 like fourth best car um i think it's going to be on certain circuits again so they won't be able to consistently do it but that alpha tari is an impressive machine we saw with pierre obviously in qualifying what he could get out of it. and it was unlucky that he got kind of pulled out so we didn't actually get to see at least up the sharp end what that car can do but what was particularly impressive from from yuki was that he he recovered from that poor start where he admits freely that he made mistakes and dropped him down um to, to 16th that he was he was able to to come through the field using his skill obviously but the performance of the car um i, I think it's super super exciting and um, he doesn't seem to get phased by anything it's quite frankly extraordinary for someone as young as him um and i think that like Franz Toss has already said look he's going to make mistakes of course he is he's a rookie and we need to consistently remember that that he is He's only had two years of international experience, so he is going to make mistakes. But, you know, even just that mugging of Lance Stroll on the last lap, it's just going to be one of a number of highlights. You know, we're going to have a massive reel at the end of this year of like great Yuki moments because he doesn't give up. He's super aggressive. And what is so great for him as a rookie is, you know, unlike for Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, he's got a car from the off that he's going to be able to show his talent. Um so I'm super excited to see what he could do uh, this year. And the fight back that he made through the field to get points, um, maximising their strategy, um, was was brilliant. And let's wrap this one up with Sebastian Vettel. This was the, not second coming, I suppose, third, fourth <laughs> coming with Sebastian Vettel, depending on how you want to sell it, uh, at uh, Aston Martin, of course, this uh, last phase probably of his career, presumably. He had a pretty dreadful weekend, all things considered. Yes, he qualified poorly because of yellow flags, but he was also penalised for the way he dealt with yellow flags. Didn't score, except for five points on his super licence, which is pretty serious for a single weekend of racing. And that was partly because he also rear-ended Esteban Ocon trying to... what when he was being passed, rather, for 12th, I think it was, late in the race. If we want to be a little bit more fair to Vettel and this fairly dreadful start to his Aston Martin career, he was put on a one-stop race, which is... A little bit wacky for Bahrain. We know it's high degradation, uh, even high wear, considering the state of that asphalt and the heat of the place. Uh, It seemed to me, and I I found myself wondering this in the second half of the race, that it was almost like Aston Martin had forgotten that it wasn't Sergio Perez, the great (laughs) tyre manager, the great race manager in that car. Because maybe it was a strategy he could have pulled off. Clearly wasn't one that Vettel, who coming into this race says, we're not prepared, I've done... I think it was something like at least 100 kilometers too few of preseason testing. We're not ready for this race. To give him a strategy like this, albeit he had nothing to lose starting from the very back, seemed kind of strange. It was a pretty aggressive move. I think that, you know, we have seen Sebastian, particularly last year, he was on those kind of strategies because he qualified so poorly that he would try have to try and do something a little bit different to everyone else. So I don't, I think if he was performing at his peak, I think he would have no problem pulling off that kind of strategy but I agree it was a massive ask he's so undercooked you know coming into this season in terms of preparation with that team he's just nowhere near comfortable enough even from very simple from the simple level that he's just not 
um, happy with the procedures and the team and that car and, you know, what he's got to work with. So it was a massive ask for him. And I actually think he did all right in that first stint. Um, he was pretty handy defensively, at least. Um, he wasn't given positions up. Um, at one point, it it looked like it wouldn't be too bad. And I guess, you know, the very fact that he was battling for 12th with Ocon, having started from the back, it's not it's not awful, is it? Let's, let's be honest, because Lance had finished... Um, finished 10th overall it wasn't horrific but I think what was concerning was his approach to Ocon passing him I think that him coming on the radio um, and blaming Ocon um, was mind-boggling really I don't I just don't understand what was going through his head when he said that um, because it was nowhere near Ocon's fault it was it was Sebastian's mistake a mistake that he admitted after the race but I think that those are the kind of errors that we saw him clock up with alarming regularity at Ferrari. And, you know, I think the whole paddock was hoping would start to go in the other direction by moving to Aston Martin because it was a fresh start. Um, So it's just a tough one because I think there were some high points in that race for him where he can take some positives. But obviously overall, um, I think it was a massive disappointment and it's only going to heap more pressure on him. He was so down after the race in the TV pen like among the you know the most downbeat that I've seen him um, in the, in this recent era of his career, and and that is a concern because he was so buoyed at testing that even though it had gone, um, it hadn't gone that well. So I think that if he's he got hurt quite hard in this race, that doesn't bode well, especially if this Aston Martin isn't as spectacular as perhaps a lot of us were were perceiving it was going to be coming into this season. A really interesting Bahrain Grand Prix. We got a result, but the best part is that I feel like we don't really know that much more about how this season's going to go. And that's a beautiful thing, especially when you've got 23 rounds mm-hmm. to race across for the rest of the year. Lawrence, how good it is to not be talking about the Spanish Grand Prix with you. A real pleasure. Uh, I've um, absolutely loved it thank you very much for having me and thanks for again for choosing a race that we had so much to talk about and and like you said um i think it sets the tone nicely for the year i don't think every race is going to be like this of course it's not you know we're about to go to a circuit imola where where it's it's just unlikely to be that exciting because of the nature of, of, of the circuit but i do think that we've seen enough now from testing and the first race to suggest that for the first time in several years, we have got two teams who could be fighting out for the honours at the front. The Bahrain Grand Prix has set us up beautifully for the rest of the season. In Mercedes and Red Bull Racing, we seem to have two closely matched cars with different strengths. And in Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, we have a perfect multi-generational rivalry with all sorts of implications for the next chapter of F1 history. Thanks very much to Lawrence Barreto from F1.com for joining me to wrap up the race. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. Never miss an episode of the F1 Strategy Report by subscribing with Google or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. And if you like the show, why not leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word? You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you in a couple of weeks to preview the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix.